I am very uh, excited to be able to um, have a, a good friend of mine come and, and bring this more to light. Uh, his name is Craig Hill. We have known each other for, I think, close to 19 years. Um, I've uh, had the privilege of being able to serve with him. I've had the privilege of having uh, his kids uh, in my children's ministry when I was a children's pastor. He's got four kids, three boys, one daughter, and uh, unfortunately, his lovely wife is homesick today. Um, but uh, I've known Craig and Kelly and their kids, and, and we've had great fellowship together. Uh, I am so glad that he was available to be able to teach this book, even though um, Stephen and I reluctantly didn't want to give this up, because uh, this is one of our favorite books as well. But that's how much I like this guy, okay? Um, but Craig, uh, he, he's a pastor of New Testament. He's gotten his PhD. Um, uh, more power to him. That's something I could never, never go through. He's a, a seminary prof. He teaches at Bible colleges and seminaries. Biola grad, Talbot grad, Fuller grad. And um, yeah, there you go. <laughs> Which one was that for? It was for Biola. So, you know... Uh, <laughs> But, um, and also, uh, he also hosts the, the Teaching Pastor podcast, and uh, so that's been a, a new adventure and been really cool to, to have him do, and so I'm just really uh, excited for uh, all of us to be able to have the opportunity to uh, get to hear from my good friend, Craig Hill, Craig Squared, so can we give him a, 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 a welcome? Thank you, Craig. You know, two, two things I love, I love Craig Cooper. Um, I mean, I love, if you guys, if you've been befriended by a Cooper, or Craig Cooper particularly, um, you know that that is, um, well, that's a beautiful thing. And you know that um, whatever, I just, I, when, when uh, we were serving together at Voyagers and um, Voyagers Bible Church, and when, when Craig um, left, I remember I stood up and I just said, whatever it is that makes someone a pastor, Craig Cooper has that. And it, it's, it's beautiful, and you'll know, if you haven't yet experienced that, it's a joy, um, as well as the Cooper family in total. It's beautiful. So the other thing I love is I love the Bible. I love the Bible. I feel like when I, I heard the gospel for the first time when I was 13 years old at a Christian rock concert of all places. And don't ask me what band it was because the 80s were a very glamorous decade, okay? Um, but um, I just fell in love with the Bible from the get-go, and that ended, I mean, that, and that would, it ensued like decades of torture that came with a PhD and all that stuff. But anyway, I, Jonah is, a, is an awesome book. Craig said, hey, do you want to do Obadiah or do you want to do Jonah? And I was like, come on, do you even have to ask? Okay, so if you have your Bibles, let's open up to the book of Jonah. I love the Bible Project. I love what Tim Mackey is doing up at Western Seminary. I am a graduate of Western Seminary as well. And uh, love what they're doing. So good, so good. If you, if you have a friend who is just interested at all in the Bible, or you are interested in getting to know about the Bible even more, and you guys are doing this here, it's so great, this Route 66 thing. But these are fantastic videos, and that was a great synopsis of Jonah. Now, when I first did work in Jonah, I thought that I was going to be doing work, spending time researching how it's possible for a man to survive in the stomach of a whale for an extended period of time, which is the modern trademark of the story, right? Like, I say Jonah, you say 
whale, right, that's exactly. But when you look at the book, the, way, the, the big fish episode is only two verses out of four chapters. And so I eventually realized that I had, there were bigger fish to fry in Jonah. <laughs> All right. If there was a second service, I'd, I'd scratch that one out. So that's... Um, but you guys, get, you guys get all this. So um, for all the time that the book, for all the play that the book of Jonah gets in like Sunday school and like children's movies and there's a VeggieTale movies, for all that time, Jonah is a decidedly adult book. It is not the Bible for children. This is the Bible for adults. It is a dark and grisly story. And we don't often think about it because we oftentimes think about the whale coming out of the, of the playground or on the walls in the nursery or whatever, which is a weird thing to do to our kids, to put like the Noah episode and the Jonah episode in the nursery. My gosh, what are we trying to do? So, but in Jonah, we see a story of about a man that's full of prejudice, hatred, hard-heartedness towards God. And in Jonah, we see the flat-out audacity of disobedience, prayerlessness, and bitterness that is allowed to fester. It's a story of a man who'd rather run from God and die than to see God's mercy poured out instead of God's wrath. This book features terrified sailors throwing a man overboard to save their own lives, a man who, is essential, who essentially dies and is swallowed by a fish, which in the ancient world, they would have thought sea monster, leviathan. He has been, he's been swallowed by a sea monster. There was no Jacques Cousteau, you know, exiting the Calypso, you know, swimming. Anybody Jacques Cousteau? Okay, look, that, some people have no idea what I'm talking about here. But there was no scuba gear. If you went underwater in the ancient world, that's death. And so when Jonah gets thrown overboard, it is to die. Um, so he's, he's swallowed by the fish and then he's transported and vomited. Yes, vomited. That's there in the Hebrew, vomited on dry land. And he's unmoved by the death, the potential deaths of thousands of people. He values his nice, shady, comfortable spot over the thousands of lives of people in the city. On top of this, the background of the book. So that's just the book itself. But if you start doing any work about the Ninevites, like, it's PG-13 at best. It's R-rated. It's like, it, some of the commentators say, there's warning. If you do any background work on the Ninevites, you need warnings for graphic violence and gore. It's, it's horrible when you think about what it is that they are known for. And the Bible certainly can be taught to children, but Jonah, fully unfolded, is a book for adults. And hence, my title for the message is Jonah the Dark Prophet. And he is. He is a dark prophet. Um, the Bible Project called this work satire, and I think that's probably a good way of looking at it. Another way of thinking about Jonah is it is a dark comedy. It's a dark comedy. And we're going to walk through and some of the challenges that I've encountered with Jonah and that I think as we think about the book that we can all encounter together. Now, in some, um, a couple things. Before we get into actually the book, there's two things that I don't know what to do with. There's a couple things in the book of Jonah that I don't know what to do with. And when I read it and like, we, like the, the video says, you hold this mirror up, there's a couple things that I don't know what to do with. And the first thing is this. I don't know what to do with Jonah, the man Jonah. Is he a faithful prophet or is he disobedient? 
Is there a turning point in the stomach of the big fish? Or is he just a, is Jonah a bad guy or a good guy? And that's something that the book kind of holds us up against is what do we do with Jonah? The second question is kind of like this, and it's a question that Jonah wrestles with. And it's not what do I do with Jonah, but what do I do with a God who wants, who wants to show mercy on the violent and those who make their reputation on atrocities? What do I do with a God who not only does that, but wants to show mercy on the violent? and those who make a reputation for themselves on violence. What do I do with that God? What do I do with the God who wants to love my enemies? So what do I do with Jonah, and what do I do with this God? All right, so before we get to those, those let's, talk, let's just look. I think it's helpful to see a little bit of the comedic part of this, okay? So open up to chapter one. Our dark comedy begins in this way. And you know it's a dark comedy because it immediately starts, the word of the Lord comes to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, arise and go. And so what does Jonah do? He arises and flees. <laughs> it's, it's immediately comedic. Arise and go to Nineveh. So Jonah arises and flees to Tarshish. It's an immediate, it's an immediate clue that we're not reading what we've already read in prophetic literature. Jonah is an interesting guy. He teases the audience, so Jonah rises, he bluntly, he, he flees. Now, if anybody knows, if you've read Psalm 139, where can I go from your presence? But Jonah is going to not just try to flee, he's going to try to flee from the presence of the Lord. Now, once aboard, we have this very interesting episode where Jonah falls asleep. It actually says that he's snoring. He has fallen fast asleep and he's snoring. But what's interesting is back up in, chapter, in verse 1, well, there's, there's this thing. What we have is a hurling contest. There's a hurling contest that ensues. And in Hebrew, it makes it very clear that what's happening in chapter 1 is there's this competition of hurling that's going on. And it says that God hurls in 1-4, and I think the ESV does this pretty well. I don't know what the NIV does, but in the ESV, it says that the Lord hurled a great wind on the sea. And because of that, you have the waters coming up. So what did the sailors do? If you look in 1.5, the sailors are afraid and every man cries to his God. And what do they do? They hurl stuff overboard. God hurls, then they start hurling. If you go to in one twelve, after they figure out what the cause of this, it's Jonah. What does Jonah say? Hurl me. Hurl me overboard. And so what do they do in one fifteen? So they pick up Jonah and they hurl him into the sea. The storm begins with hurling and it ends with hurling, and it's God who has his way because who can hurl like God? Okay, God is great. There, the word great is all over this. There's a great fish, there's a great city, there's a great wind, there's, there's, it's all great, it's all great except God is the greatest. Who can hurl like him? That's kind of a funny way. Can we write a, a worship song? Who can hurl like the Lord? Okay, anyway, that's, but that's the kind of, that's the comedic element that we get in Jonah, okay? The other thing that kind of makes us chuckle, and we as the readers are let into this from the get-go, but it's just how doomed Jonah is from the start. Like, we as the readers, we understand that Jonah, it is not going to go well for Jonah. For one, for one, if you're Jewish and you're reading this book, mistake number one, Jonah gets into a boat, 
okay? Hebrews are not seafaring people. The Philistines are seafaring people. Other people are seafaring people. I mean, you read in the Gospels, they can't even get across a lake without drowning, right? Okay, all right, you guys with me on this? Okay, I'm just, I'm just saying, okay? But he gets into a boat. He gets into a boat, and these people are landlubbers, you know? And, um, and the sea is actually, in Hebrew literature, the sea is a euphemism of death. Like, if you look in the book of Revelation, John, he says at the, at the very end, and, and when, when the great Jerusalem's coming down, he says, there's, I looked, and there's no longer any sea. And what he means by that is there's no longer any death. There's no death. When, you, when Jesus walks on the sea, he's walking on death. That's the point of these episodes. The sea is death. And so for Jonah to be like, hey, I'm going to run from God. Why don't I get into a boat that basically skims on death? He's doomed from the start. And going out in the open ocean was just asking for trouble. We, and we, find, we see this a little bit when he's on the boat. Here's another comedic element. In 1-2, jo- well, Jonah falls asleep in the storm. And when God immediately talks to Jonah, he says a couple things to him. He says, arise and go. But he says, arise and cry out against Nineveh. Arise and cry out. Arise and cry out. That's what God says to Jonah. Jonah is now running from the presence of the Lord. He's asleep. He's asleep in a storm. Come on. He's asleep. In the- and that's the thing. Jonah is asleep to himself, to his call. He's asleep to this. And one of the things that we want to look at in our own lives as we look at Jonah, because Jonah is a challenging book, is to ask ourselves, am I asleep to something that God is saying to me? Am I asleep to what God has called me to? But Jonah's asleep, and all of a sudden, he gets awoken by this, this kind of salty captain who says, what God says, arise and cry out. This captain comes and wakes him up and says, arise and cry out. The pagan, idolatrous, captain, sailor guy is crying out with the words of God to Jonah. Jonah will not speak out the words of God, but the, the idolatrous, pagan captain is telling Jonah what God has already told Jonah. Arise and cry out. So we're seeing all of this. This is all, this is all kind of comedy here. The captain wakes Jonah. He says, arise and call out. They ask him, so they, they bring Jonah up, they cast lots, and they're like, okay, who are you? What's your occupation? Where are you from? And he says, look, I'm a Hebrew. I fear Yahweh, the creator of sea and land. And the sailors are like, oh my gosh! Your God is the God of the sea, and you get on a boat? So they, and they get it. They get it. The pagan, idolatrous sailors get it. And Jonah doesn't. It's comedy. It is dark comedy. Now, here's where, here's where it gets, the irony, is, it gets a little serious. Because Jonah has just threatened these men, these sailors, these, these pagan, idolatrous, immoral sailors. He's threatened their lives. He's threatened their livelihood. They've had to throw cargo over the, over the side. They've, he's threatened them. He's already said, just kill me. It'll all be all right if you just kill me. So what do they do? They're pagan, idolatrous, immoral men. What do they do? They have mercy on Jonah. They don't throw him overboard. They try to row for it. They try, they try to save his life. They don't row for their lives. They row for his life. The exact opposite of what you would expect a pagan, idolatrous, immoral sailor to do is to show compassion on the prophet of God, but that's exactly what they do. 
And they prove, and this is, this is the irony here, that they are more pious than Jonah. The pagan idolatrous sailors are more pious than the prophets of God. And they do everything in their power to show him grace and compassion. Oh, my gosh. God have mercy on us, on me. My gosh. So Jonah leaves us questioning his credentials. <laughs> I mean, I'll tell you, if I'm, if I'm honest, well, first of all, there's a couple of other ways that Jonah blows it. For one, when he's, when he's praying in the belly of the fish, um, uh, you know, he, all of his phraseology is kind of stock. If you read the Psalms, it's all kind of stock language of the Psalms. Stock language. One of the things that he says is he says this in verse 8. Look at 2.8. He says, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. And to the reader who's just seen these pagan, immoral, idolatrous sailors turn and repent and glorify Yahweh, the God of Israel, the reader realizes, Jonah, you are wrong. You are incorrect. Those, those who pay regard to vain idols do not forsake their hope of steadfast love because the God of this universe can reach down and love them. Jonah is wrong. I had always been taught, you know, the turning point of the story is Jonah prays this prayer of repentance in the belly of the fish. Jonah is not repentant in the belly of the fish. He doesn't even think the Ninevites can repent. He doesn't think the same. He doesn't even pay attention to what has gone on or what God has called him to do. Jonah does not repent. He's kind of a bad guy through the whole thing. As the video said, when he gets to Nineveh, he, he, his prophecy is the bare minimum. There's only five words in Hebrew. Yet 40 days, Nineveh overturned. That's it. That's it. He just starts, he launches in. Doesn't say, how, how can they stop this? What do we do in these 40 days? How can I, what God should I turn to? He doesn't say any of that. It's almost like he's blowing it on purpose. And I'll tell you this. So God works through Jonah, but it's difficult to see how God works in Jonah. And if I'm honest, if I'm honest, I'm a little disgusted by Jonah. Okay? And I don't know about you, but hearing all of this and what God has clearly said to him, I'm a little disgusted with Jonah. I look at him, I think, he's a bad guy. He's a bad guy. But here's the thing. Especially with literature, if we're thinking about this as satire or dark comedy, or even as adults, as we think about people and as we think about characters, hero or villain or anti-hero, um, typically in adult literature and in life, characters are complex. And there are often quiet undercurrents that shed light on strange behaviors and internal struggles that cause us to take a second look. And so as much as, as I look at Jonah... And even as the video, I think the video is, I mean, the video is pretty harsh on Jonah. And I'm not, it's, it's cool. And there is, if you read commentaries, you'll get this kind of, this tension between which commentators like think Jonah's a good guy and repent and which commentaries think that Jonah's just a bad guy. But let me give you a little bit of background. 
When God says, Jonah, arise, cry out against Nineveh, there's a couple things. Why does Jonah flee from Nineveh? His call is to Nineveh. He goes to Tarshish. Nineveh was the capital of the ancient city, um, was the, ca- the ancient capital of Assyria. Um, the actual place is uh, modern-day Mosul in Iraq. That's Nineveh. Okay? Um, and uh, in Mosul, so uh, this is just across the Tigris River, about 100 miles from Syria to the west, Turkey in the north, Iran in the east. Um, Assyria was, in the time of Jonah, ascending as a world power. And it was making a name for itself. And the name it was making for itself was um, a city and an empire that was known for its cruelty to its enemies. Not only were they known for it, but they chose to chronicle it, carve it into the walls of their city, how brutal they were. And what follows is essentially R-rated. This is what one of the commentators says. Records brag of live dismemberment. So when someone's alive, they would start cutting off limbs. But they would leave one hand open and available, and they would shake the hand of that one hand while the person was dying. They made parades of heads requiring friends of the deceased to carry them elevated on poles. They boasted of their practice of stretching live prisoners with ropes so they could be skinned alive. Human skins were then displayed on city walls and on poles. You can imagine Jonah walking through the city of Nineveh and there's human skins on walls. There's poles with heads at various stages of decomposition mounted on people's doorposts. Friends and relatives had been enslaved. You get the idea. I'm, I'm going to hold off on some of the more gruesome stuff. Uh, there is more gruesome stuff. All right, yes. I'm not just going to, I'm just, it, it's church. We can, you know. All right. All right, so that written on a pillar in the city. So in ancient Mosul, you could, they, they've dug up these areas and they found some inscriptions on pillars. And um, one of them says, had written, a king had written of his own people. I flayed the skin from as many nobles as had rebelled against me and draped their skins over the pile of corpses. I cut off the heads of their fighters and built with them a tower before the city. I burnt their adolescent boys and girls. I captured many troops alive. I cut off some of their arms and hands. I cut off their noses, ears, and extremities. This is a monument. This is a civic monument. This gives you a sense of what Nineveh was like. For 250 years, the Assyrian Empire compiled these atrocities, and they conquered tens of thousands of cities, including many cities in Israel. It was part of the Assyrian culture to boast of the torture of the inhabitants of their conquered cities, as you, can, as you saw. So, God says, Jonah, arise and go to Nineveh and preach against it. All right, so now we have a little background for Jonah, right? Like, is Jonah, so Jonah has, is, is he afraid? Well, we're going to find out that what he's afraid of is that God's going to actually show mercy on these monsters, And so Jonah, I mean, here's, here's his options. Go to Nineveh, be, walk into the city, pre- preach against it, 
and then be ridiculed, maybe captured, maybe tortured, maybe have his own skin cut off his body while he's alive. Great option, thanks, Lord. But maybe a worse fate in his mind would be that he would go and be successful and that they would repent and they would not get their upcomings, their comeuppance. They were due for a good wrath. It would be better if this city and this culture was wiped off the face of the earth. Can we all agree? What about the wicked reaping what they've sown, God? Jonah might be disobedient, but he makes an honest protest to God, an honest protest to God, a kind of protest that maybe you and I would make to God. God, how can, how can the wicked prosper? And why do you want God to have mercy on the wicked? Because it's true. You read the book of Romans. God justifies the ungodly. God justifies the ungodly. How do you think you're here, right? <laughs> okay. How do you think I'm here? God has chosen to want to justify the ungodly. It's part of the God. It's, it's the God that we serve. So, and Jonah says, look, I'll preach to Gentiles. As a matter of fact, I'll go to the farthest reaches of the Gentile world. I'll go to Tarshish. It's not that I'm afraid of Gentiles. I just don't want to preach to those people. So, is Jonah a hero or an anti? What do we do with Jonah? All right. Now, here's where, for me, my heart kind of softened against Jonah. It softened to Jonah a little bit, and that is this question. How do you think we have this record? How do you think we have the book of Jonah? How do you think we have all these details about what happens in the life of Jonah? Certainly someone might have made it up, but how do you think we have this? And this is where I, for me, my heart might soften in the sense that this is Jonah himself telling his story. And that at the end of the day, Jonah at some point realizes that he doesn't need to be saved from a great fish, and he doesn't need to be saved from God, and he doesn't need to be saved from the Ninevites. At some point, Jonah comes to the place where he realizes, what I need to be saved from is myself. And he tells this story. And he records this story, whether he, he writes it down or he, or he narrates it out. One way or another, Jonah tells his own story. What do we do with Jonah? We come and we humbly sit at his feet. We listen to his story as if he's the one who's telling it. And we ask our questions, even if they invite uncomfortable answers. If we had the intimacy Jonah had with God, we might engage in similar questioning of God. We see it in Hebrew scripture that those who are closest to God ask God the hardest questions. You read the Psalms. In the Psalms, how long, O Lord? How long? Why do the wicked prosper? You read in the Psalms, those who have intimacy with God, they challenge God, they ask God, they ask God from a, an authentic place from within them, and they ask God, what are you doing, Lord? The same way we might engage in a similar conversation if we were asked to go today to Mosul in Iraq and call for the repentance of ISIS. or to do it at the height of their power with YouTube videos of beheadings and hearing stories of crucified Christians, and God says, I want you to go, and I want you to proclaim the downfall of ISIS, and I want you to just walk through their city, and I just want you to do it. Jonah is conflicted at best. 
But it's not because he doesn't understand who God is. It's because he knows exactly who God is and has a sense of what God might do. You know, when we think of this, um, it takes a different tone when we think of Jonah as the one retelling this story to us. It's interesting because Jesus talks about Jonah a little bit, right? If we remember in the Gospels, in the Gospel of Matthew, and they ask for a sign from Jesus, and Jesus says, hey, you get no sign. The only sign you get is the sign of the prophet Jonah. He says, just as Jonah was, in, was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And then, and then Jesus says this, the men of Nineveh will stand up with this generation at the judgment and condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah and something greater than Jonah is here. Something greater than Jonah is here. Three days in death only to be delivered by the one who shows compassion on the wicked, the violent, and the sinful. So what do we do? What do we do with Jonah? Well, look, we let Jonah take us to Jesus. And if we get lost along the way, then we let Jesus take us back to Jonah like we're doing today. We're here because we follow Jesus, but sometimes we lose our way when we think about what, what posture does God have toward my enemies? What, what, what's my posture towards my enemies? Is it one of, of anger and rage and disgust? Just pulling up a lawn chair so that I can watch the wrath of God fall on someone's life who's wronged me? Have I let bitterness well up within me, take root and begin to grow? And if we get lost, Jesus says, hey, remember Jonah? Remember Jonah? And Jonah and Christ takes us back to Jonah. Because Jonah says, I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness. So we take that truth, I mean, that uncomfortable truth. I mean, look, I've got people in my life I don't like. I'm just alone. I'm, I'm not speaking for you, just me, okay? I got people in my life that I don't like. I got people in my life that I think have wronged me. I got people in my life that I have, a, frankly, a hard time rooting for their success. And I have, to come to, I have to come to the fact that if that person has put their faith in Jesus, God's, well, even if they haven't, that God's disposition towards this world is one that he wants to forgive them. That God wants that, God wants that person to walk through those doors and worship next to you and me, that God could have anybody walk through those doors, come and come to faith. God wants that, that the violent, that the wicked, that the immoral, the pagan could walk through that door and sit down and have their life transformed by the gospel, and that we would rejoice, and that not just that we would be ambivalent about it, that we would rejoice at it. And so, a couple things at the end here. One question to you, one question to me. Jonah was asleep in the middle of a storm, asleep to his call, and this is the question for you, for me. Is there, is there a place in your life where you're asleep to what God is asking you to do? Particularly think about a person, maybe that person who has wronged you. Like when I said I don't like people and there's a person boom, came up in your mind, 
Are you asleep to the idea that God might want you to move in that person's direction? Look, I, I'm just saying that's an uncomfortable question, okay? I'm the guest speaker, so I get to drop that bomb and then leave, right? I'll let, I'll let Craig pick up the pieces of that. But look, that's, this is exactly what the book of Jonah is confronting us with. If Jonah were retelling this story, he would have the gravitas to stand in front of us and say, is there someone that you hate? Are you asleep to what God is calling you to? I was asleep. Are you ignoring something that God has asked you to do? So that's the first thing. Are you asleep? Second thing is this. Um, and again, uncomfortable questions is Jonah. Um, are you angry at God? Are you angry at God? Simple question, but very difficult to admit. I'm not supposed to be angry at God. I'm not asking if you're supposed to be angry at God. We all know the right answer to that. I'm asking if you are angry at God. Because look, if you're angry at God, you are in great company. Read the Psalms. Read Jonah. Okay, read the Old Testament. Read Read the Bible. It's full of people who are disappointed with God, who are angry at God, and yet God invites, this is the weirdest thing, God invites us to bring our, our petition before him. He invites us to do that. There's no inqui- in, in prayer, there's no inquisitors. There's no one standing next to you. God's like, that's a bad prayer. Look, it's, there's all kinds of bad prayers. But God asks us to, to put our petition before him. And I would just urge you, whatever season you're in, just put that to speech before God. I mean, you might not want to do it in a small group setting. Go to, you know, like go quiet to a quiet place where nobody can hear you except for God, but do it. It's what God is, it's calling us to. It's the point of intimacy with God. It's a very counterintuitive point of intimacy. We always think this, this has to be this warm, fuzzy relationship, but it's not always warm and fuzzy. And if you're having a, a, some kind of a grief or some kind of a, a thing with God right now, Put it to speech before him. Don't wait till you're in the belly of a big fish to do it either. So we don't get to judge Jonah, and we don't get to judge the Ninevites. What we come here to do is we come here to wake up. We come here to wake up to what God's doing in our lives. And we come here to ask that God would graciously reveal what it is he would have us do. So why don't we pray? Why don't we pray? Let's spend a few moments in prayer asking God to do just that. Father, we're, we're grateful for, um, for this book. Um, we're grateful for the man Jonah. Um, and we imagine that he is speaking to us. That he is telling his story. And I pray, I pray for uh, my friends here that if there is a place that they are asleep, that your spirit would come and do what your spirit does so well, which is gently, perhaps not so gently, remind us of a place where we are asleep to your compassion. We ask, Father, that you would give us that, for that one of those songs that we sang earlier, the one we almost forgot to sing, Um, Give me vision to see things like you do. 
if Jonah had vision to see things like you did, if we had vision to see things, see people like you do, move us in the direction of a compassionate response to the people who are unlikely recipients of your grace. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.